The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. I am very delighted today to have with me my guest, Dr. Aletha Solter. Dr. Solter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Aletha Solter is an internationally known expert on children's emotions, non-punitive discipline, and attachment style parenting. She holds a master's degree in human biology from the University of Geneva in Switzerland, where she studied with Jean Piaget. And she has a PhD in psychology from the University of California. She has led workshops for parents and professionals in nine different countries, and she's the founder of Aware Parenting Institute. For those of you who are interested, that's www.awareparenting.com. Dr. Solter, welcome. It's such a great, great privilege to have you and to help have you help us understand today uh, a little bit about crying. Yes, well, that's one topic that I've written a lot about in my books because I think there's a lot of confusion about it. Yes, uh, confusion is is for sure <laughs> an understatement. You know, I've I've read this several times, and I finally sort of did a little soul searching to myself, and I said, "Why is it that it bothers me when babies cry?" And the answer is because I'm not doing a good enough job, because I am inadequate. I'm a bad nurse. I have 10 kids crying in the nursery all at once. You know, I really put myself on this. I'm a bad person because I can't make them stop crying. And when I got through with your book, I came away with the idea that that's not my job, either as a nurse or as a parent or grandparent or anything else, and in fact, that crying can actually be a good thing. You started out in the book making, I believe, four assumptions, and I'm believing that uh, one of those was along those lines. But anyway, can you talk to us a little bit about why crying is not a bad thing? Yeah, well, it's crying... And I like that you said that about feeling that you're inadequate because so many parents parents feel that way because of the information about crying. I mean, most people think that crying always indicates an immediate need in infants. And that's simply not true. And that's that's the myth. There are actually two 
basic reasons for crying during infancy. And one is obviously to communicate an immediate need. But Mm -hmm. the other reason is to heal from stress or trauma. And that's what's not recognized. Crying can be a a very beneficial healing mechanism for not only for babies, for all of us, for adults, for all of us. And and most people recognize the therapeutic value of crying for adults. You know, we cry when we're grieving and and therapies, lots of therapists encourage our clients to cry, but we don't extend that to our our, um, understanding of babies. So what I've done in my work, I've I've, um, made it clear and, and presented a whole approach to parenting based on the idea that it's actually okay for babies to cry because sometimes they do need to release stress stress and trauma and i should say right at the beginning this crying should always be done in arms babies always need to be held okay i'm not i don't recommend crying it out leaving them alone to cry yeah, out it's good for their lungs that's that's no 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 this crying is is called the crying in arms approach <laughs> Well, I want to go to that crying in arms because I am an adult. And (laughs) to state the obvious here, but uh, I very distinctly remember the first time I worked a lot of labor and delivery as a nurse and uh, the first time that we had a baby die. And of course, I did what every good nurse was supposed to do. I did all of the technical skills, took care of the mother, took care of the family and all that. But about three late, three hours later, I was standing at a supply cart and I was just taking something off or putting something on the shelf and I started to cry. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just like this big, like Niagara Falls coming out of me. It was just mm-hmm. um, the most massive body shaking cry I think I had ever done. And yeah. I distinctly remember that there was a physician who came up behind me. And we'd always had a very professional relationship, but he put his arms around me and just hugged me real tight. And I can remember his words to this day. He said, go ahead, just cry it out. Just cry it all out. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, I mean, I'm kind of getting that's... the heebie-jeebies just talking about it mm-hmm. here, <laughs> But I yeah. realize how deep, and, and by the way, this was not when the baby first died. It was several hours later. Mm-hmm. And and I have this earth-shaking cry. And for him to say, it's okay to give yeah. me permission right. and to encourage me, but not to leave me standing alone at the supply cart. Yes, yes. You needed that connection. Then. Oh, oh, yeah. I did. And honestly, I don't know how long I cried. It seemed like forever, but I know that when I got done, I was much more able to pick up the burden of my, you know, my tasks. Yeah. Yes, it's a stress release. You had your oh. own healing to do. It's, it's really beneficial emotionally, physiologically, everything. And I mean, it's definitely, you felt that. And that's so nice that he could support you. Yeah. Well, so I guess as I was reading your book, and and that whole scenario came back to me, honestly, it's been more than 30 years, it feels like mm-hmm. it was yesterday, but I realize, is this what babies have? Do they have these pent-up emotions, these stressful thoughts, feelings, whatever, and then... Uh, do we let them get it out and are we with them? Do we hug them, hold them mm-hmm. when 
and 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 if so, can you speak a little bit to the release and the cortisol because you talk about that quite a bit? Yeah, well, I talk about the research that <clears throat> William Fry has has done. Uh, he's a, a biochemist, and he re- he's researched human tears in adults, um, and he's found that there's two kinds of tears corresponding to two kinds of crying. I mean, the two kinds of tears that correspond to one corresponds to emotions, okay, when someone watches a sad movie, he gave test tubes to volunteers and showed them a sad movie, literally had them collect their tears. And the other kind he called irritant-induced tears. Ooh. So it's like you, uh, you smell a, a bowl of cut onions or something. And you will oh, produce. Mm-hmm. So he compared, it was interesting seeing, and he found differences in the, in the chemicals in these two kinds of tears. And he found hormones related, a much higher proportion of hormones related to stress in the, what he called the emotionally induced tears. So his um, theory was that something really unique happens when we cry for emotional reasons, and that maybe this is the body's natural mechanism for getting rid of these uh, hormones, stress hormones, that would, that, that have become toxins, because they would maintain our bodies in a needless state of tension and arousal, um, mm. you know, it's the stress response. So that helps reduce that and calm the body naturally through crying. So you mention about the chemicals in the tears, and not to get too deep into the biochemistry here, but certainly there are chemicals that uh, accompany other bodily fluids. Am I correct? Yeah. Right. And so right. aren't they there for a purpose? And doesn't it kind of make sense that these tears would be released with those chemicals for a purpose? Yes, definitely. And that's what, what he thought. That uh, uh-huh. these Well, one of them is ACTH that he found, adrenocorticotropic hormone. And oh, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's what, very involved in the stress response. And that, um, so that, you know, to lower that is part of the healing from stress. So that, that's what he observed and that's was his conclusion. Along with that then I want to talk a little bit about colic. I was thinking that when I was in graduate school there was a gal who did a paper on colic and her basic conclusion was colic is multifactorial. And just a couple of summers ago I did a lot of deep reading on colic and <laughs> I thought, I'm not really sure that anything has changed here. I think nobody really knows what causes that. But you address this whole colic thing from Mm -hmm. a very different perspective than what I've ever encountered. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, there's several theories of colic. One is the gastrointestinal theory, and that that has been proven pretty false, actually. Apparently only... Only ninety, only five percent of colicky babies actually have something physically wrong with their wrong digestion. With so that's yeah. not five percent of all babies. That's five percent of colicky babies. Colicky babies. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, however, there's very interesting research on on trauma, and and they found that babies who have been traumatized, whose whose mothers were traumatized during pregnancy, for example, had a, a fright, maybe they're own parent died during pregnancy or maybe their partner died during the pregnancy or they had serious serious financial problems those babies cry more 
than a baby whose mothers didn't have that extreme stress during pregnancy. And also babies who had very difficult, uh, complicated, difficult births cry more. Yes, and, and I, I want to talk that. more about that on the other side of the break. Uh, yeah, okay. So there, there is, yeah. So there's evidence that these early traumas, perinatal traumas, do uh, correlate with increased crying. So, so the, the theory, I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. Well, when you said trauma during pregnancy, I was thinking of the woman who came in one time and said to me, I'm a teacher, the filing cabinet fell on me yesterday, and and that's why I'm in labor and so forth. And of course, I kind of tried to help her to not wear that, you know, but I was thinking trauma physically, but you're saying any sort of stressful Uh, event. Emotional trauma, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, There's research on that. And we're not talking about, you know, a little bit of stress at work or this, you know, major, major traumas. And they do affect the mother's physiology and that gets transmitted to the baby. And, you know, it's babies cry more. That is just, that is amazing to me. And yet it makes a lot of sense because I think that babies at least, at least extra uterine you can absolutely see when they perceive that you are a nervous wreck. <laughs> yes, they, they do. They and, you sense, know, yeah, they, they sense they everything do. the mother feels. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd be quick to say, now some people are offended when I compare babies to animals, but honestly, you know, your dog often will know. They they really yes. key <laughs> into those things, whereas we adults have sort of been programmed to just shut it all off. Hey, everybody, yeah. do not go away. I will be back with Dr. Aletha Solter in just a moment. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. Today with my special guest, Dr. Aletha Solter. Dr. Solter, before we went to break, we were talking about stressful events in pregnancy that the baby can, I use this word loosely, but store up Mm -hmm. in his uh, body, his brain, whatever it is. But I want to talk a little bit about trauma uh, as related to labor and delivery. And I'm especially interested in this because I think that women think that they have to have like some horrific thing happen in labor and delivery. And actually, that's, I mean, certainly that can happen. But there are a number of stressful events that can happen to babies. And I looked up what the top 10 were, and they were molding of the head, Mm -hmm. cephalhematoma, which is like a bruising on one side of the skull, Some conjunctival hemorrhage, which is bleeding beneath the eye, a facial palsy or facial paralysis, a brachial palsy. Now, there are several different kinds. The the one that usually appears is the herbs palsy, and the baby has like this uh, dysfunction of his arm and shoulder. Uh Bone fractures, uh, especially fractured clavicle, and oxygen deprivation. When I looked at that list, the first thing that jumped out at me was, I've seen all of this stuff, you know, (laughs) this is, this really happens, and especially the oxygen deprivation. We would like to think at the day and age of of fetal monitoring that babies are not oxygen deprived, but actually, they can certainly have less oxygen than what might be optimal Mm-hmm. for presumably even short periods of time. Yeah. That's and true. how does that affect them? And we, you know, I want to say we don't know. I'm wondering if you can address how do you know, is there any research on how long it takes for this to kind of resolve? For, you, you mean for birth traumas to resolve? Yeah. Any of these? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's, there's other kinds of birth trauma too. There's just simply long labor. Okay, which right. can be traumatic for the mother right. and the baby. There's, yep. there's being, you know, having the umbilical cord around Wrapped your around neck, neck which is oxygen. temporarily. Be, yep, that's oxygen um, deprivation. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that. Um, 
what I've found and what, what is generally corroborated by research is that it, it, can, it can take about three months, okay, for a baby to recover from the emotional impact of some of these birth wow. traumas, provided the baby's allowed to cry in arms when, when you know, when he or she needs to. Uh, and that's often how long colic is said to last, which is very interesting. That's true. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Interesting. Yeah. They call it three months colic, but it often lasts a lot longer. I mean, babies continue to cry for, for months often, mm-hmm. you know. But um, but we don't know whether, the if there's actual brain damage, we really don't know how reversible that is. Nobody knows. And that can be caused by the oxygen deprivation. But, I'm, you know, the emotional impact, the fear, the confusion, all that can be overcome through the, the therapeutic crying in arms approach. Um and it does take about three months. I love the way you have uh, called that therapeutic crying in arms. Right. Yeah. Because to me, that puts a whole other spin on it rather than the baby is crying. I'm not no. doing my no. job to help him stop crying. Can you address, please, do you think that it is counterproductive to try to stop the baby's crying? I do. Okay, talk to us about that. I do, um, I, and that's that's where it gets confusing confusing for parents. Um, we we do think it's our job to keep our babies happy. Okay, yeah. we want everybody wants a happy baby. Everybody wants a you know smiley baby after they learn to smile and so on. Um, that's that's not our job. Our job is to meet their needs, mm. and and one of their needs is to heal from stress and trauma, and to cry in arms. And so um, when we stop the crying, and the, the methods used are very, well, there's lots of methods that people use to stop crying when they, this kind of crying, you know, when it's not an immediate need. And, you know, they, some people jiggle the baby. Some people just think, oh, they rock them, you know, energetically. They put them on the clothes dryer so there's some vibration. Take them for rides in the car. Make make shushing sounds. Um Give them a pacifier, yes. or or oh, repeatedly try, or repeatedly try oh. to nurse them, and this is where the, the whole nursing aspect comes in. And basically, using our breast as a pacifier. Um, yeah. So there are all these methods in the long run, they may temporarily postpone the crying, but they're not going to stop it to, uh, forever. So, okay. am I? Uh, can I understand then that all of us have a certain <laughs> load of stress? Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, and, if, if yes, we, we probably then do. until we, we, we until we do. get rid of that load of stress, it's still there. We're just postponing it. Uh, yeah, and, and some people who've had very traumatic childhoods and who don't weren't allowed to cry or who as children were, were punished for crying, were left alone to cry, you know, that's another method, go cry it out alone, okay. Um, so sometimes people grow up really needing to cry, okay, and and they sometimes don't get a chance to do that until um, either something major happens or they, they go into therapy. I'm thinking of a couple of things. One is when the baby gets older and the parent says, now, big boys don't cry. Yeah, that's another way children get stopped. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is that a bad message to give to a young boy? 
it's a terrible message to give to a young boy. Uh-huh. It, it, it means that, you know, you're not okay uh, feeling your emotions. This is not okay. You know, that's, is that really the message you want to give our boys? Is that, I mean, so they you give that message enough to your sons, they're going to grow up with the inability to, to express emotions, the inability to maybe even know what they're feeling, um, feeling bad I, about, you know, having what, what are called the tender, softer emotions like fear and, and sadness. I yeah. distinctly remember one time when P- President George W. Bush got on national TV and was making some kind of a speech, I don't remember what it was, and he said, we Bushes cry. Oh, well, that's good. And I, I was yeah. astonished that, is, that yeah. Yeah. a man and the President of the United States basically announced, this is how my family does business. When we're sad, we cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> thinking wow yeah uh, it it certainly was very different from all of the messages that most american kids get from their parents which is big boys don't cry yeah certainly <laughs> and so we can repress these crying behaviors but it doesn't necessarily well it sort of temporarily represses the emotion but right. sooner or later it comes out dr yes. solter do some people have these negative emotions come out in a bad way instead of crying? Yes, exactly. And that's what that's what we see in already in toddlers who haven't been allowed to cry in arms. Maybe who had a traumatic birth and maybe their their mothers, toddlers didn't understand their need to cry, so they did all these shushing, repressing mechanisms. Yep. Yeah. Um, they these toddlers, they they uh, they show some aggressive aggressive behavior already pretty early in life. And this is a distorted expression of their, their painful emotions. It comes out as aggression. It can come out as sleep disturbances. They don't sleep well. I have had mothers consult with me. I do consultations with parents. I've had mothers consult with me who have done wonderful uh, attachment parenting from birth. And, and I'm all for attachment parenting. Um, sure. Co-sleeping, they you know, breastfed their babies on demand. But they didn't understand the need to cry. So these babies are maybe starting to hit their mothers, bite, oh. bite other children. They're waking oh. up every two hours around the clock, still wanting to nurse, you know, at 12 yeah. months of age or something. Um, that, it doesn't have to happen that way. And that's almost always caused by unhealed early trauma. Yeah, and I want to be quick to say here that there. There is an immediate need, and Dr. Solter would probably call that communication. I'm crying because I'm wet or I'm hungry or I'm whatever. Am I correct? Right, right. Or simply a need to be held. But there's also yeah. the, the other piece, which is crying because of stress. So right. uh, I just want the audience to understand here you're not in any way negating the idea that a baby may cry because he truly is hungry. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. he truly does need to nurse. And I have seen a lot of parents who get very confused by, uh, sometimes the baby's crying for another whole reason entirely. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I remember that when I was a young nurse, a phrase that I would use with babies, and I would talk to babies, I, I would say, honey, I don't know what's wrong with you. You are fed and dry and burped and this and that. 
And I don't know, I think you're just lonely. And that was the phrase that I used. Mm -hmm. But oddly, I noticed that if I would just pick up that baby and hold him while I was doing some charting or something, very frequently they would settle down. Yeah, that need was to be held. Held, absolutely. And I see that sometimes nursing mothers don't want to put the baby down because they think that he's still nursing. And sometimes he's really not. He's really, as I like to tell them, he's now nursing for fun, but he's not nursing for food. Mm-hmm. And there are ways in which you can tell that, in fact, the baby mm-hmm. is actually not consuming food. Mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily want to give the, me- the mother the message that it's bad, but I do want to give her the message that if she's doing it because she thinks that she, he's getting food, that is, is not, that is a misguided belief yes. at that moment, at least yes. at that moment. So, Hey, everybody yes. don't, don't go away. When we come back, I am going to put Dr. Solter on the spot. I'm going to say to her, well, if all of this swinging and shushing and so forth doesn't work, what are some other tips that we can use? So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuso, your host. I have with me today Dr. Aletha Solter. Uh, audience, I'm not exactly sure what I just promised you, but there were three things that I think I misspoke a little bit, but I'm not sure. Uh, Dr. Solter, could you talk about three reasons why it is never a good thing to leave babies alone to cry? What would those reasons be? Yeah, well, basically, I, I recommend picking up a crying baby whenever they cry, they need to be held. One, well, one reason is they may need to be held. I mean, that may be why they're crying. Okay. And then you'll know, you know, if she stops crying, you will have met the need. If she continues to cry, then you can look for other needs. But that's one basic reason why it's important to pick them up. Um, the second reason is that if they do need to cry to heal, what I, the, what I call the, the stress release crying, then they, they, they do need another person. They, the presence of another person is very necessary and for this process to be effective because when they're crying alone they don't feel that connection they feel abandoned um i do yeah right (laughs) i mean when they're forced to cry alone i mean when we're older we may choose to go alone to cry but babies don't would not choose the young children do not choose to cry alone unless they've been forced to do so um and another reason why it's important to always hold babies when they cry is that they, we need to give the message of um, total love and acceptance, unconditional love. Unconditional so love. if we don't, if we kind of force them to cry alone, you know, we don't know how they're interpreting. They might get the message, oh, mommy doesn't like me when I'm sad. Mm. Okay, we want our children to grow up knowing that they are loved no matter how they are feeling. And, and even though we know that we love them, no matter how they're feeling, they're not going to get that message if we force them to cry alone. And that's for the same reason I don't recommend use of time out. It's a discipline tool. Oh, you uh, don't. Talk no, about don't. time out. Okay, oh. talk about time out. <laughs> I did not pick that up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it's again, it's a disconnection where there needs to be connection. So it's, uh, I'm all for connection. <laughs> so the message we need, children need to learn their love at all times, no matter how they're behaving, no matter what they're feeling. And um, I don't criticize parents. I don't blame parents who've done the cried out approach out of desperation or out of misinformation. You know, um, we all do the best we can with our resources and with the information we have. You know, these parents, they have not damaged their baby for life. They have not, you know, that's not going to... Uh, cause serious problems and but it's always possible to undo these things to to start doing things differently and to help our children heal even if we ourselves have harmed them in the past and that's well, wonderful going right towards where i wanted to go which oh, is, great. yeah <laughs> if i'm a new mother and i wake up tomorrow morning and, and i've heard dr aletha Salter tell me that you should not leave a child to cry it out you should uh-huh. not put him in a room by himself how how can i change my own behavior and do i what have i got to do to help my child that i've already subjected him to this what's the yeah. next step here well, the next step is to just pick him up every time he cries and stay with him. And, and just even if you need to say, I'm 
it's hard for me to, to hear this. I don't feel I can help you, but I'm going to stay with you until you feel better. I'm just going to stay with you. Um, and you can cry as much as you need to. I mean, that's the message that we can start giving, you know, to shifting. Um, so it's hard. It's hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, it it's is. It's hard. This approach is hard. Um so what about the older child who is big enough to uh, wiggle and squirm and sort of push his way out of the mother's arms? Uh, that Then I think that it's really hard for the parent because they're thinking, well, he doesn't want to be with me. And yet Dr. Solter is talking about connection. So isn't that confusing? Can you address that? Yeah. Okay. So what I, I recommend holding a, an, an infant who is crying, picking them up. If they continue to cry, continue holding them. Now, if they, like an older child, say, who's maybe already able to crawl and wants to get away, I would let them get away. You can, I mean, say, say your, your crawling child is is crying, starts crying something, bump, bumped her head or um, got frustrated with something. And you can just, you know, Get, get near her and crouch down and put your arms on and say, hi, you know, I'm here. Do you want to come to my arms? Mm, um, mm-hmm. she, make the offer. Make the offer. She, yeah. she may choose to stay where she is and cry. She may choose to come into your arms. So I don't, I wouldn't force that on anyone except, and there is an except that if a child is acting aggressively and if your three-year-old oh, is mm-hmm. hitting the baby, you need to step well, no. in and, right. and restrain your child protect the baby so that's different um and then you might need to hold hold her against her will uh to protect someone else you gave two what i would consider very practical tips for what to do uh if the baby has if the baby has already learned to suppress his crying and to me it kind of boiled down to Change the way you react to him, number one. And number two, try to elicit laughter. Can you speak to both of those things? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so changing the way you, you react to him, I mean, that's, you know, if you've used your, your breast as a pacifier, for example, you can experiment a little bit. And, and, you know, I really encourage mothers to experiment with the whole nursing because it's so easy to get in the habit, you know, let's offer the rest, you know, even if you know the baby's not hungry, um, as a pacifier, um, you can experiment a little bit and say, okay, maybe that's not what you need right now. Let me just listen to you. I'll stay with you now until you feel better. I hear you. You've had a busy day. You got overstimulated or whatever, you know, just change that response. If you're even for a, 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 a very young infant who can't understand words, you would say that I, I would. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously not the first couple of weeks when you want to, you know, build up your milk supply and all that. I'm talking about babies who are, you know, a few weeks old, a few months old. You can start, um, or actually you can start right pretty early with, with the crying in arms approach, but you do need to check for all immediate needs first. Obviously you don't want to keep holding a baby who's starving and say, oh, I heard it's good to cry. You know, I'm going to hold you while you cry for an hour, obviously. But so it's, right, it's, right. it's a judgment call. It's getting to know your baby. It's experimenting. It's becoming aware of what, what we're feeling. You know, it helps. This whole approach, it really helps to explore our own childhood. What, what, what happened when you cried as a child? What, how do you feel when your baby cries? Um, you know, if you always 
eat when you need to cry when you're upset. Uh, it's going to be harder to interpret your baby's cues correctly. So it all ties, it can get, you know, as deep as we want to go. But to get back to your question, so um, laughter is the other thing you can do. Um, to, for example, if, you're, if your child has started um, repressing her, her, his own crying, maybe he, he sucks his thumb and doesn't cry when you think he needs to. Maybe, you know, maybe he has a kind of clutches a security blanket and, and, and when you know that he has some pent up emotions. And so you can just, you know, engage him in, in playful games with a, a child who sucks with some. You can play just a little peekaboo. Hi, I'm here. You can touch his face. You can touch his hand. Say, hi, I'm here. You know, are you there? Where are you? And then many babies will take their thumb out and, and laugh or they'll cry at that point because that's what they need to do would you take the baby's thumb out of his mouth or would you take his blankie away no i i wouldn't do those things um not i wouldn't i would never i mean that's part of his body the the thumb is part of his body the blanket (laughs) i would you know you i would try all sorts of other things first such Um, as and and not you know just just listening just being playful just connecting when babies feel truly connected to us and when they feel 100% emotionally safe they will cry if they need to we don't need to do any more than that so that's really the thing to aim for and then they won't need these crutches so earlier in the show you mentioned that whole laundry list of things that I've told parents for years you know put on some white noise uh, put on some mm-hmm. music rock the baby a whole uh, uh, swing the baby put the baby in the car for a car ride I said all those things I said all of those things uh-huh. yeah. um, it, I, I'm thinking that maybe you're not saying that's necessarily bad it's just not optimal am I getting that right um, yeah that's a, that, that's that's a nice way to put it. I think, you know, if we do these things, it's important to be aware of what we're doing and why. You know, um, I once breastfed my infant through a whole movie I wanted to go to just so he wouldn't cry. I knew <laughs> I knew it was just plugging him up, okay? Uh, he's uh-huh. not damaged for life, okay? Right, right. <laughs> um, but to be aware, I was aware, okay, I'm stopping the crying. I know he needs to cry. This is this is not what he needs right now. I want to watch this movie. I, it was a mistake to begin with to bring him to a movie. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i think are we doing this things from our own comfort or is this because we, this is really what our baby needs yeah that's pretty interesting because truly i think of these babies that are not the little babies okay but but certainly the older babies that know that the parent is going to react with giving them some juice or giving them uh-huh. a special toy, or giving them a whatever, really just to quiet them down. Yeah, right. When in fact, maybe that baby just needs to be held and talked to and listened to. Listened to, yeah. Yeah, and I'm yeah. wondering how many of us adults have said to our spouse, our whoever, our boss, anybody else, won't you just listen to me? Won't you yeah. just listen to me? And yet... You know, our kids really need the same. They can't necessarily articulate it that clearly, mm-hmm. but 
they are asking for that. Um, they are. They are. Just haven't yeah. necessarily picked up on it. All yeah. right, everybody, don't, don't go away because Dr. Solter and I will be right back after this short break. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed, where uh, every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts. I have with me today Dr. Elisa Solter, and I would just like to tell people how I discovered Dr. Solter's book. <laughs> I went in for a massage uh, to a massage therapist that I never met before, or maybe once or twice. But anyway, I had these really, really tight shoulders. And she said, 
wow, you are really tight here, woman. What have you done? And I said, oh, I'm writing a workbook for nurses and lactation consultants, and I've just been writing a lot. And, of course, one word led to another until she found that I was interested in breastfeeding. And she said, oh, when my baby was little, I got the best book, and it helped me to understand that not all of my problems were related to breastfeeding, that some of the problems were just that my baby had some stress. And how I needed to respond to my baby. And that book was, and she goes rifling around her her office and she said, I bet I've got it here somewhere. And I, I said, well, how old, <laughs> is your, how old is your baby? And she said, <laughs> 23. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so impressed because I thought now for a woman to remember the impact that a, a book had on her life and her now grown child, I thought this has got to be quite some book and how can there be one out there that I haven't read and haven't found out about and don't know about? And when I got my hands on it, I was really impressed by the fact that my job is not to fix it or if my job is to fix it, then the fixing is really about helping the baby to cry, not about just shutting the baby up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that very often I get called for all of these, quote, breastfeeding problems, unquote. And a lot of the time they're not breastfeeding problems at all. They're just they're just baby behavior things. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I am eager to know, Dr. Solter, what was your motivation for writing this book in the first place? Oh, uh, interesting question. Yeah, so um, my book, which is The Aware Baby, is the first of five books I've written. Um, The first edition was written back in 84, and then it was revised, and I revised in 2001. I had the motivation to write this um, because before having children, I got involved in some psychotherapy to help me heal from some very early trauma I'd had in my life. Um, I'd been hospitalized at the age of five and no one was allowed to visit me. That's a huge trauma for a young child. So I found in my therapy as an adult that crying about those memories really helped me and I was no longer terrified, panic-stricken when I walked into a hospital. So I naturally wanted to raise my children this way. when my son was born, and he's 40 years old now, um, <laughs> I had two convictions. One was I, I knew I didn't want to punish him, and the other was that I wanted him to be allowed to express emotions, to cry if he needed mm-hmm. to. And I had a feeling this healing crying could could maybe start at birth. And it turned out that he had a traumatic birth. My labor was 48 hours. So that's, oh. that's traumatic. It's traumatic for yeah, me. It's yeah. traumatic for him. He was stuck in the birth canal. Um, I had no medication. I'm very proud of that, but it was long. And yeah. so he had lots of crying spells. He had what all the research shows, babies with traumatic births cry more. And, um, and I found when he was, you know, a few months old, I would just gently put my hand on his forehead where, you know, where he was feeling the pressure during birth and he would cry even more. I mean, while he was crying, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. he would actually scream. Um, and then it got to the point uh, by the time he was, you know, I don't remember exactly how old, maybe six months, I could put my hand on his forehead and it wouldn't trigger anything. You know, it didn't seem to bother him anymore. So he had this, wow. um, you know, and I didn't at that point know whether, 
that was helping him to have my hand there and make him <laughs> scream even louder or whether I should not do it. But um, so anyway, that's where this whole approach came from. And then uh, I realized that this was helpful information. Um, and then my daughter was born five years later. And so I started this approach with her right from the start. She also had early trauma. She had to be in an incubator for um, I was just wondering a how that days, fit in. Yep, a yep. few days just for the blue light treatment, the light treatment. So again, we had a little, you know, separation trauma, there. Separation. Yeah. Although I was yeah. with her twenty four hours a day, but you know, you have to <laughs> peel peel them off. You put them back in, whether you want to keep holding them or not. So that was that was hard. But she cried a lot too. Um, so I learned through my two children. I experimented. Um, and this approach is very different from any other parenting book, and it really does does work well, and it really helps parents. Uh, one, one big benefit is that babies can sleep through the night much earlier than, than many people believe uh, because uh, they don't have that stress. And sometimes that it's stress of, that wakes them up, you know. That in and of itself is a, a very big motivator Right. Or why a parent might want to read this book. Now, I'd just like to tell uh, the audience, I will be featuring this book on my own website, which is www.borntobebreastfed.com. So that's Born to be Breastfed. We will have it featured there during the, the week that this show airs, but it will continue to be there uh, even after it's not on the front page. And I'd like to remind everyone in the less than 60 seconds that we have left uh, that Dr. Solter also has five, excuse me, four other books. Dr. Solter, can you quickly tell us what those are? Yeah, it's uh, Helping Young Children Flourish, Tears and Tantrums, Raising Drug-Free Kids, and Attachment Play. And my website, Aware Parenting Institute, www.awareparenting.com. Well, that is tremendous uh, information for those of you who would like a little bit deeper insight into, as she said earlier, it's not just about breastfeeding, it's not just about skin-to-skin care, it's not just about attachment parenting, but it's about something deeper. And I think that you've gotten some insights today that will really help you to understand that and to understand a lot more with uh, this book, The Aware Baby, which is what we focused on today, as well as her others. Everybody, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Thank you so much for uh, for joining our show and Dr. Aletha Solter. Thank you for being such a great guest today. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.